Amen. Why don't you go ahead and be seated. We're going to go back into worship again in just a moment. Maybe uh, tonight would be the first night you've ever come to one of our, in, our Wednesday night encounter services. And um, so it's a little bit different. We normally on Wednesday nights are going through the Gospel of Luke. Um, but on this night, it's usually the first Wednesday night of the month. Not always, but usually we take some extra time in praise and worship and to have some to share at the table of the Lord together and um, just to see how the Lord would work. And so what is on my heart to share with you tonight is about the gifts and the power of the Spirit. I want to begin, though, reading in a place in Ephesians that you know well as kind of the reason why I want to talk about this. It's Ephesians 4, verse 11, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why do I exist in this calling? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, what is that? For the working of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And it goes on. It's a very long sentence. He didn't like to use periods. So you can read on, and there's a lot of good stuff there, but why would I want to talk about the gifts and the power of the Spirit of God, because my job description is to equip you for the work of the ministry, to equip you for the work of the ministry, which means if you're going to engage in ministry, you're going to need two things. What is that? You're going to need the gifts of the Spirit, and you're going to need the power of the Spirit to walk out those gifts of the Spirit. And so I want to take this opportunity to hit on this point and to talk about this. And um, I understand that, you know, there may be some that have, you're new to the church, you don't really know where we stand on these matters of the spiritual gifts and the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the Church of Jesus Christ has a wide range of views, all the way from don't ever pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you because the Spirit, a foul spirit might beat the Holy Spirit to the punch and you might end up getting demon-possessed. I see some strange-looking faces out there, and I'm glad you have a strange face because it is a strange teaching. But I, I have sat in the meetings with people where they've said this, and I'm like, wow. I have a little more confidence in my Heavenly Father to answer my prayer in a timely matter than that he's in some kind of race with the, the forces of darkness. No, it's not there. And then other people will go to the other extreme, and it's like... it. Everything is about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and everything is about the gifts of this Spirit. And I don't think that's a healthy position either. So where are we? Well, I didn't coin the phrase, but I like it. We're charismatics with seatbelts on. That's, if that, that's a mental picture. It kind of gives you an idea. We, we, we certainly have a theology that would... Uh, uh, touch a lot of the charismatic teaching. I'm going to talk about what we don't believe in just a moment, but we don't believe that, therefore, we've got to have a free-for-all. So let me talk about this for a second. Two main sections with a few points underneath each. What am I not going to say? Okay, well, I want to get this. I'm not going to spend a lot of time there, but I want to say this in the beginning just in case it is a concern for some. So when we talk about spiritual gifts, you talk about the empowerment of the Spirit, um, no doubt everybody's mind immediately goes to the one gift that is 
I'm usually at the top of this discussion, and that is the gift of tongues. So this is what I am not saying. So if you're taking points, here are four things that I am not saying tonight. Number one, I am not saying that tongues are necessary for salvation. I don't believe it, never taught it, don't see any evidence in Scripture that would state that somebody has to be uh, speaking in tongues in order to be saved. Um, a lot of people don't arrive at this statement that you have to speak in tongues to be saved like that, but they go like this. In order for you to be filled with this, you are not saved unless you're filled with the Spirit. And you're not filled with the Spirit unless you what? Unless you speak in tongues. And so that's how they get there. So essentially what they say is you've got to be able to speak in tongues in order to be saved. I am not saying that. I don't believe that. Um, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on there, but just say No. It's not what I'm saying. Salvation comes through faith and the grace of God as manifested in Christ's atoning death. That's the grace. And we appropriate that grace. How? Through speaking in tongues? No. Through faith. And so, not saying that it's necessary for salvation. I'm also not saying that it's necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So some would say, in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit... You must speak in tongues. You don't have to have that to be saved, but you can't be filled with the Spirit unless you speak with tongues. And um, read Corinthians. There's a, a rhetorical question. There's a, there's a series of questions. And it says, do all speak in tongues? And the expected answer is no, they don't. And so um, I'm not saying that... Um, you have to speak in tongues to be saved. I am not saying that you must be miss speak in tongues in order speak with tongues in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I, you know, one example is there's no church that um, exercised spiritual gifts that we know of in the New Testament more than the church at Corinth. Now they got some problems, right? But at the beginning of First Corinthians, Paul says, "Man, I'll give this to you guys. You come short in no spiritual gifts." But he says later on, I wish you all spoke with tongues, which means even at the church where they did not come short in spiritual gifts, there were some that he was still hoping that they would speak in tongues. So I don't believe that you have to be able to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think I want to say that because I think some of you maybe have that as a threshold in your mind. It's like it's not going to get real until I speak in tongues. You just need to let go of that. Okay. The manifestation of the Spirit in a person's life is what Jesus said, is that go tarry in Jerusalem until you are what? Endued with what? Power. Power to be my witness. So there's a dunamis, there's a strengthening, there's an empowerment that will come to our life. What else am I not saying? Number three, I am not saying there are two classes of believers, the spiritual and the non-spiritual. Those that have experienced a filling of the Holy Spirit and those who have not. You have the spiritual and you have the non-spiritual believer. Everybody's a believer, but there's just two different groups. There's two different camps. And, you know, uh, you are almost made to feel like a second-class citizen within the body of Christ. I am not saying that. I don't believe there are two classes of, of uh, believers. But... What I do believe is that there are multiple spiritual experiences with the Spirit that we should all have. That we should all have. Let me ask you this question. Are you growing in your understanding of the Word of God? Say yes. Yes, I am growing. Yes, okay. We all are growing. I know, hopefully you can look today and say, I know more about the Lord 
than I did five years ago. Hopefully you know more about, more about his grace. Hopefully you know more about his holiness. Hopefully you know more about the expression of love in your life and what that should look like. Hopefully you know more about walking in your spiritual gift that you have today. And in the same way, I think we should be growing in our understanding and the working and the moving of the Spirit of God in our lives. So not the haves and the have-nots, that this is another aspect of our Christian walk that we should be growing in. You should know more about the Spirit's work and move in your life today than you did five years ago. There should be that. So you can read Acts 2, you can read Acts 4, and you see that there are multiple experiences that people have with the Holy Spirit. Lastly, I am not saying spiritual gifts are on the same level as Scripture. That if somebody was to prophesy, that they would have an equal revelation with Scripture. I am not saying that. I don't believe that. 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, Test all things, hold fast to what is good. And really, the verse that precedes that is that we should not quench the Spirit and not despise prophecies, but we should test all things. So, there's spiritual gifts and there's a moving of the Spirit, but who has the final say? Well, how do you test things? You test it with the Word of God. And so you allow the Word of God to be the final statement. So although there can be legitimate, genuine, beautiful, precious works and moves of the Spirit of God through your life and through my life, speaking to one another, it does not rise to the level of Scripture. Um, and so I would say um, that there, because a person may have a spiritual gift, it does not grant that person a private interpretation of Scripture. What do I mean by that? It's very clever. Well, you know, this passage, you know, the Lord revealed to me that this passage means dot, dot, dot. And you're like, yeah, that's not what it means. I know that's not what it says. I mean, that's not what it says. And you're like, well, I don't know if it means that. It's like, well, no, the Lord told me that it meant that. Oh, so you have a private interpretation? I mean, like you had a one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, and he gave you something about Scripture that he's given to nobody else? You, you've all heard somebody say something like that, or, or, you know, or maybe even those very words. And it kind of, it's meant to rock you back on your heels, like, you know, hey, don't argue with God. Because he told me about this. But you know, I can play that game too. You know what I can say to the person who says, the Lord gave me a revelation about this scripture and he told me what it meant? You know what I can say? I can say, you know what? The Lord gave me a revelation about that scripture as well and it's not the same thing as what you got. So whose private interpretation is going to win the day? So although we want to see spiritual gifts move and exercise, we do not want to see any violation of Scripture. So four things I'm not saying. That tongues are necessary for salvation, that it's necessary to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying there are two classes of the haves and the haves-nots, the spirituals and the non-spiritual within the body of Christ. And I am not saying that the use and exercise of spiritual gifts and the revelation maybe that comes through that will be on par or even close to the Word of God. So I, I go through that because that's generally where people are like, where's he going to go with this? Well, that's where I'm not going. So now you can relax a little bit. <sighs> He's not going to be a weirdo. And so now we can, we can just dive into some other aspects of what the Word of God says. So what am I saying when we talk about the need for the gift and the power that you might be equipped 
to carry out the work of ministry. What am I saying? We should all expect spiritual gifts to function today. And, um, well, let me rephrase that. We should expect all spiritual gifts to function today. Which ones? The ones that are listed in the New Testament. The ones that are talked about in Scripture. We should expect that those would be around today. In Acts chapter 2, it indicates that uh, the outpouring of the Spirit and the accompanying gifts is for which days? The last days. The church age. Acts 2, 14 through 18 But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, this is right after they began to speak in tongues on the outpouring of the Spirit, says, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let it be known to uh, you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. It's still morning time. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. What are the spiritual gifts for? You don't have to scratch your head on this. You're being told, I'm being told right now, that in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Which days? The last days. And they shall prophesy. This is not a difficult one. We should expect all spiritual gifts to be functioning. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 through 27, Paul gives, you're familiar with this passage. He says, you know, the eye should say I have no need of the hand or, you know, the different body parts. Like this body part says I don't need that body part. No, I mean, every body part is necessary. But this is a metaphor for us, the body of Christ, You're a part, you're a part, you're a part, you're a part. We all are a part. And the context of the part is the metaphors representing our what? Our spiritual gifts. Our spiritual place within the body of Christ. And so when we read this, what Paul ends up saying is that we should not say that we have no need for this part of our body. Or to put it into what he is saying is we should not say that we have no need of a particular spiritual gifting. It really is amazing. I mean, it can't be any clearer. He sets it up. He goes into a really lengthy section, the whole, almost the whole second half of, of chapter 12, and say, don't say you don't need each other. And the context is in the context of spiritual gifts. Verse 25 of this passage says, um, it says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. He goes apostles, prophets, and he goes through gifts of healings, helps, administrations. Goes through those whole list of gifts and says, okay, now desire the best gift. So his whole point in talking about this part should, say, should not say I don't have that part is to say that we need all the parts of my body physically functioning, an easy conclusion. Therefore, we should accept all the parts of the body of Christ and their unique giftedness. And yet, some will say they are not for today. There are two gifts in particular that we are told not to seek after today, that God is done with. Um, the first one um, is the gift of tongues, and the second one is the gift of prophecy. 
But 1 Corinthians 14, 39 says, Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Whoever's going to have the position that the gifts, these gifts are not functioning today, have to interpret that. You can't ignore it. You can't just say, eh, don't like it. Oh, they're all a bunch of weirdos in Corinth anyways. Well, okay. But he is not a weirdo. He is speaking the truth and the word of God, and he's instructing them, and this is what he has to say. He, the Apostle Paul, says, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies. Those are the two gifts that people usually say they're not for today. And the reason the, the most common text used um, is the text from 1 Corinthians 13 that says that these things will cease. So let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 13. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Aha! Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Gotcha. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. But what do you have to say about that one? For we know in part and prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. What's in part? Is that I know in part. But when the perfect has come, I'm going to have complete knowledge. Okay, so whatever this perfect is, pretty important. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Now, right now. But then face to face. What's the then? The then is the perfect. When the perfect has come, then is what is being But then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. Now abide, faith, hope, love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. This was a church that was preoccupied with spiritual gifts, but they didn't care about loving one another. Note this. You can be a gifted individual in the body of Christ, not walking in the fruits of the Spirit. Did you know that? Because they were. They came short, no spiritual gift, and yet they didn't walk in love. The gifts weren't, and they were all, they, were, they needed to be restrained some, but they didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. So in this passage, it says that these prophecies, that these tongues are going to cease, that knowledge is going to cease when the perfect has come. And some have said that the perfect is the completion of the New Testament Scripture, which, for your information, was never the interpretation of the church until about 150 years ago. But then when the Azusa Street Revival happened and kind of the modern rebirth of Pentecostalism happened, people needed to find a proof text for all the abuses and they went to this. But prior to this in church history, never used like that. Well, the word of God is perfect. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're not going, you can't just jump, make that jump. And if you do say that the perfect is a completion of the word of God, therefore these gifts are not for today, then you must also say you see face to face. And you must also say that you have perfect knowledge. What is the face to face experience we're talking about? It's when you see Jesus face to face. And when I see Jesus face to face and we're all in his presence face to face, I will have perfect knowledge. And guess what? I won't need to speak in tongues and you won't need to prophesy. But you know what we are going to keep on doing? 
We're going to keep on having faith. We're going to keep on having hope. And we're going to keep on what? We're going to keep on loving. So that is not the passage. We should, what am I saying? I'm saying we should pursue spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. We are to desire spiritual gifts, and we shouldn't come short in them. 1 Corinthians 14.5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So I'm not really focusing so much on prophecy and uh, the gift of tongues, as much as I want to make this overall point, is you should die, desire spiritual gifts. We should be those that want to see spiritual gifts happening in our life. Well, I've got all the spiritual gifts I need. Okay, so did they. They came short in no spiritual gifts. But to the one church that was desiring spiritual gifts and walking in spiritual gifts more than any other group, he told them to keep on desiring them. Which tells me that we should never get to a place where we are content and say, I've done enough for the kingdom of God. I've walked enough. I've gone de deep enough. But there, there should be a continual pursuit of the use of spiritual gifts. Um, we should be continually filled. Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled with the Spirit. There should be a, a pursuit of gifts and there should be a continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our life. What should we expect our spirit, um, or we should expect that our current spiritual experience is not the last experience? I kind of opened with this. Well, I had an experience, I'm good. No, no, no. I read the Bible one time, I'm done. I prayed for an hour once, I don't need to pray anymore. I mean, I shared the gospel once. Well, I tried. I'm done. I mean, what a, there's no spiritual activity that you can ever say, I'm done. As Paul said, um, that he had not attained, but he was pressing on. Acts 2.4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. First experience. Same people gathered again, Acts 4.8. Excuse me, wait. So Peter was in that room, and then Acts 4 8 says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Wait a minute. He was filled in Acts chapter 2. Doesn't he know he doesn't need to be filled again? But he is being filled again, isn't he? Acts 4 8. And then in Acts 4 31, it says, And when they had prayed, and Peter is part of this gathering, the place where they assembled, were assembled together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke with the word of God with boldness. Again, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So we should be pursuing spiritual gifts and we should expect that our current spiritual experience with the Spirit is not the last experience. So you are saying you believe in a second blessing. No, I'm saying I believe in a third and a fourth and a fifth. What I'm saying is that there isn't just one experience or just two experiences. Is that every time I put my hand to the plow of Jesus, I'm crying out, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need you, Lord. You said that apart from you I can do nothing. And so we should expect that our current spiritual experience is not the last experience. So if you happen to be sitting here saying, well, I had that when I was, I mean, Troy, you're talking about stuff that happened to me when I was 18 years old. Well, when's the last time it's happened to you? 
18? That's not, unless you're 18, that's not a good answer. I mean, we need to be walking in the power of the Spirit. We should, I am saying, we should stir up and maintain the exercise of spiritual giftings. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The word stir up means to cause to blaze again. To rekindle. Something had happened with Timothy and some of those giftings were just beginning to become more like a flicker. And Paul says, stir it up, or cause to blaze again the spiritual gifts that you've received with the laying on of my hands. I prayed for you and laid hands on you. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You are a steward of the grace of God. What's that? You are a steward of a spiritual gift that God has given to you. What is required of stewards is that they be found faithful. And every steward of the Lord will give an account for his or her stewardship. So what does that look like in your life? Are you walking that out? Are you being a faithful steward? Wow, I've used the gift so much, I just it's time for the younger generation. You don't have a Bible verse for that, I promise you. All of us need to be stirring up the gifts. Young people, if you're in here and you're like, I don't know that I've ever received a spiritual gift. Well, then let's not cause to blaze again. Let's just light it up. Let's, let's pray for you to discover that spiritual gift and begin to walk it out. Lastly, well, actually, two more points. The exercise of spiritual gifts is evidence of God in our midst. That's, what I'm, that's one thing that I'm saying in Scripture says. When the church is filled with the Spirit and exercising spiritual gifts, the result is people realize that God is in the midst of those people. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 23 through 25. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are crazy? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, look at this, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. Everything that's being stated. Verse 25, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is what? Truly among you. A church that is walking in spiritual gifts will be a church where the presence of God is realized. And so if we stop desiring spiritual gifts and we're, we're content to let things just kind of fade out, then what we're forfeiting is, number one, obedience and stewardship, but we're also forfeiting the working of the Spirit of God in our lives so that other people can experience His presence in our midst. You know, some of you may be thinking, yeah, Troy, there's so many abuses, though. you got to be careful. Okay, there are a lot of abuses, but let me tell you this. There's never been abuse that has not been corrected at this church in 26 years. And I don't, not to be mean, sometimes it's, you know, most, I think every time it's been a super gentle correction. So, 
yeah, I, I realize that people abuse these things. But do you want to know what else people abuse? The Word of God. You know what else they abuse? The proclamation of the gospel. You know what else they abuse? Money. But you're never going to find a pastor saying we're done with money. Enough of that tithing stuff. I heard down the road it was abused. Therefore, we're not going to ever take a tithe again. No, they're not going to say that. So because people mishandle something, there's no reason for us to say we're done with it. On the contrary, it's like let's seek the face of God and his word and let's go do it right because this is what we're supposed to do. That's the answer. So the exercise of spiritual gifts is evidence of God in our midst. Lastly, God intends his church to walk in, uh, to walk in the endowment and gifts of, uh, of the power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8 But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God wants his church to be empowered. You shall receive power. Don't go out and do evangelism until you have received this power. So the Lord wants his church to walk in the dunamis, that's the Greek word for power there, that moving power, things that move things from one place to another, that is the kind of power that God wants his church to walk in. And 1 Corinthians 12, 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. He wants us to be empowered, and every single believer in the body of Christ is given a spiritual gift. A gift. That is God's desire. We use the word a lot in Scripture. We talk about it a lot in our conversation with one another, is that we want to edify one another for edification. That is a construction term that means to build, to build up. So we are building. We are all servants that are working on the house of the Lord, and we are all seeking to build that house. When you go to build a house, you need to make sure you bring something with you, and that is tools. And the gifts of the Spirit are the tools by which the Lord said, that's how I want my church built. I want there to be teaching, and I want there to be gifts of helps, and I want there to be prophecy, and I want there to be administrations, and I want there to be, and there's a long list of gifts that we can go through. But this is how the Lord builds his church. This is how he gets it done. And so we need to walk in it. Um, I think it's, well, it's my opinion. I'm just going to put it out that way. It's my opinion that when a revival breaks out, there is more people that are familiar with the power of the Spirit of God upon their life and their gifts and walking in it. Then, then, and the further you get away from a revival, the less that you see that. And yet a church, a country, a state, a people are never promised another revival. We are not promised another revival. So what does that mean for us when we talk about the power and the gifts? Well, this is a matter of us being obedient and walking in what the Lord has given and stirring these gifts up and asking them and repenting of our um, letting it go out, of being coming disinterested and 
Not wanting to see the presence and the move of God in our midst anymore. So we walk in obedience to this. But it does not mean that a revival is going to come. But let me tell you this. If a revival comes, you can be in one of two places. When the wind of the Spirit begins to blow, you can either be like a boat whose sails are all down and nicely tied to the mast, and you know, no wind, don't worry about it, and you can be safe in the harbor and in the dock and like, this is just where we're going to be. When the wind starts to blow, we'll get out there. Or you can be out there with the sails down and saying, we know there's no wind right now, but Lord, if your wind blows, we'll be ready. Now listen, we, we may go through our entire existence until the return of the Lord, until we're there, and never see another revival. But we still have to walk out our spiritual our gifts. We still need to be empowered by the Spirit. And it may not be as widespread, but it will still be significant, and it will still be the work of the Lord, and he will still accomplish good things. So sitting back and waiting until something happens is a terrible idea because God's word has told us how to walk and how to live it out. So my job, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, is to equip you for the work of the ministry. You cannot do the ministry apart from the power of the Holy Spirit and apart from spiritual gifts. So we're going to continue uh, this evening, and I, I pray that you go beyond this evening. But we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just go to more worship. We're going to ask the, the pastors and the elders just to be up here and, and to pray for those who are just like, I, you know, and I often do this, so I'll do it again. I say especially to those of you that were in 100% agreement with everything that I said, and yet you know that in your life that gift is not a full blaze. It's like a flicker. It's like a single candle flickering in the wind. That's, that's where your gift look like right now. But you know what it used to be like when it was like a bonfire of use in your life. Well, we need to get things right. Pray for that to be stirred up in your heart and your life. If you're a young person here and you're like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And we want to pray for you. And so you come up. We'll pray for you. We'll do exactly what Paul did with Timothy. We'll lay hands on you and say, Lord, fill them with the Spirit. Give them the gifts. And then begin to walk it out. But I'll tell you who the Lord is most inclined to manifest a spiritual gift to and to fill with the Holy Spirit. Those that are in love with the body of Christ. Because if you're in love with the body of Christ, then you'll want to help the body of Christ. And how do you help the body of Christ? Except that you walk out your spiritual gift. So if you're like, I've never, I never know what the body my gift is. Well, listen, it's not about a you thing. I mean, it is your, a gift that God gives to you, but the purpose is so that you can go love the body of Christ. Not so you can go around and talk about Hey, guess what my spiritual gift is? Like, who cares? Show us what your spiritual gift is. Quit talking about it. We want to see your gift in action. We want to see that mercy in action. We want to see that evangelism in action. We want to see that, that gift of giving in action. That's what we need. We don't need to talk about it. Just go do it. And then you're going to, and as you do that, that love of God is going to be flowing through. 1 Corinthians 12, all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14, all about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 13 is all about what? Love. Oh, he changed his train of thought. No, he didn't change his train of thought. 
He's just saying in the middle, of course, they didn't have chapters back then, but in the middle of a discussion about spiritual gifts, you've got to talk about love. Because every spiritual gift, if you can just conceive of every spiritual gift as a funnel by which the love of God can flow through. That's the goal of every gift is that people would encounter the love of God. And that spiritual gift is a funnel by which that love can flow through. So what you're saying is, Lord, you know, make me a funnel of your love. Make me a channel by which love can flow through that I can, I can show the body of Christ how much you love them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've raised up a church. And Lord, down through the ages, you have had gifted individuals, men and women, walking it out, showing kindness, showing love, showing mercy, showing um, gifts of hospitality and administration and gifts of teaching and, and all of these gifts, Lord. And so you built your church. Lord, I pray tonight that you would just stir our hearts up, that we would have such a passion to go deeper, to be filled again with your spirit, to see that gift that we once walked in turn into just a full raging blaze in our life again. And Lord, forgive us for being sidetracked. Forgive us for getting our eyes on other things. And so Lord, we seek your face.